Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today is Chip Frederick. We will talk Vandy baseball. Chip appears on the guest line. That's sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, call Taylor or Russell. That number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Now on to our podcast with Chip. Chip Frederick joins me as he does every week. We'll talk Vandy baseball. Chip, hope you're well. Thanks for joining me today. Good to be on with you again, Chris. And, uh, you know, things a little better this weekend than they were last weekend at the halfway point. We officially at the halfway point of the conference season. So some exciting baseball this past weekend. Uh, the Hawk was energized. Uh, you know, a good three-game series of baseball. And, and uh, this team certainly needed it. There's still some question marks. And the Sunday contest was one that kind of was uh, disappointing after you win those first two. It's kind of like I told somebody if you – that was your Friday night game, and then you win the next two. It's always about in this league how you did in the last game. It seems like it's uh, it's it's the way that the, the league has gotten so competitive. So you kind of have a little bit of sour taste in your mouth after that game. Just they, they I felt like they're kind of stuck in mud all day on Sunday, and really against some pitchers for Florida that were not front line guys, and they just got shut down. And it kind of harkened back to some bad memories they've they've been experiencing lately. But they get a nice shutout out on, on Tuesday night against Tennessee tech and, and win that seven, nothing and, and roll some guys out there. Futrell um, has another nice outing. So all in all, since we spoke last time, um, you know, a good vibe, a better vibe going on uh, as we head to Lexington this weekend, but still a lot of work to do. A lot of question marks that are dotting the lineup in certain positions, Sunday starter, and we get, you know, rolling different lineups up, trying to find some guys who will get hot and stay hot. And But that's where you are in the league, 26 and 10. Uh, hadn't lost a midweek game, which is a great thing. Uh, seven and eight in the conference and kind of middle of the pack, trying to work your way back up to the top. It's funny to look at this team from the 30,000-foot view because it's 26 and 10. It's won every midweek game, which I don't think anybody else in the league has done that. I think that gets kind of lost because everybody's looking at series wins. You know, you, you give them a win in the Oklahoma State series, you know, just swap that out for a midweek win or something like that. The season probably looks a little different because then they've got a win then. Or, or, or give them one against Auburn or South Carolina, swap that for another game. It looks different. They're probably ranked probably in the top ten. Uh, but, you know, they've lost those key series. Um, you know, some of them some close games, and I feel like that has – his colored perception, I'm not saying that's wrong. I do think ultimately you judge people over who you beat and everything, but with baseball having small sample sizes in terms of good teams you play, um, sometimes the body of work gets overlooked. I think their body of work is still really good. Uh, again, the, the key wins are lacking, and that's going to hurt them in terms of seeding for the NCAA tournament. But if you look at the predictive computer rankings – and there's a lot of them out there. Um, you know, they are RPI is not predictive. It's based on results. They're tenth in that. 
This morning, they are fourth in Kenneth Massey nationally. They're sixth in Boyd's World. They are seventh in Warren Nolan's ELO, and they're 13th in Sonny Moore. Uh, the, the computers continue to think this is a solid regional hosting team, if not a national seed. Again, they're, they're not there right now, but I, I find that interesting, and I felt like last week um, felt like a team that played up to that. Beating Florida is a good series win, and then a shutout in the midweek over a pretty decent Tennessee Tech team. Yeah, and over the over the nine next games in this league, I think what you're talking about the whether the regional host and and how where they're going to be placed is going to be you know decided there because you go to Lexington for three, you have Texas A&M with no midweek game in between the Kentucky and that Texas A&M game. You get Texas A&M game on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then you go to Athens on May 6th, 7th, and 8th. And that's going to have a lot to do, I think, uh, with two of the three being on the road. If you can go in there, win a couple series, I think you solidify yourself. But I I still think, unlike years in the past, it was just a question of you sort of knew you were going to host. You just didn't know where you are going to be in the national seed. And that's not the case this year. But you you take a look at the the way the league is as a whole. You kind of got Tennessee and Arkansas as the elite in in Arkansas in the West, Tennessee in the East. And trying to catch those guys is going to be pretty tough. I mean, a serious logjam in the West with three team three teams at eight and seven tied for second: Auburn, Texas A and M, and Alabama on the other side. And and then in the East, everybody's chasing Tennessee. So these next nine games are critical. I think this is. Um, I don't think there's any doubt this is a regional team, but just the idea of hosting and and not hosting is going to be decided i think uh, personally in the next nine games and they'll of course have a, a lot to do with that they've gotten the destinies in front of them and they want to keep that streak alive of, of doing that which kind of is expected for vanderbilt team so it's just been a weird season as you mentioned figuring this team out from thirty thousand foot view i mean you, i've never seen a vanderbilt team and i think i touched on this last week chris not have a solidified Sunday starter. We're kind of musical chairs on that third game, um, playing different guys at different positions. Usually by this time, it's been decided. We've got different first baseman, right fielder, designated hitter, left fielder. Those are kind of the, the spots in first baseman. Uh, you're seeing a little bit of Bulger kind of taking over the catcher role, uh, more of the two of the three games on the weekend that's happened lately and I, I think that's probably a better move um it seems like that's working out uh helping bulger whatever way uh, i think they both have good arms but i think you're sending seeing that but other than that in the lineup i still think they're they're still trying to find a way i, I think personally it would be hard for me and we can talk about this maybe you're seeing it a different way it it is it is hard for me to keep Calvin Hewitt out of the lineup right now. I just I, the way he um, the way he is at the plate. He's disciplined. He doesn't get fooled much. He struck out last night on a pitch that fooled him. And as soon as I say that, but he keeps his hands back. His body still. His head. I like him at the plate. I think he's good enough in the outfield. And he's batting. What is he batting? Five hundred for the season. I know he didn't have the the the, the at bats the others do, but. It, it was kind of surprising that he starts Friday night and then didn't get the not. Did, I don't think he even played in Saturday and Sunday. And he hit the home run on Friday night. It was a big blast. So 
um, those are the things that they're going to have to find out if, if, you know, most positions they got it, but is, is Hewitt, Vaz, uh, they're Gordon seeing more action since the Auburn game, Vastine, um, you know, Hulk. Carter, Hulk, yeah, exactly. He's worked his way in and Carter young is, as he's moved to the nine hole, but man, he's been electric in the field and, 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 uh, there for a while when he got, he sat for a game, maybe just to clear his mind, uh, I thought, well, maybe they were going to make a move there and and try to get him to clear his head some more. But he's made some plays up the middle uh, from his position that they're just they're not going to do that. And I, hopefully Carter can get through this because he just seems frustrated at the plate, but he sure is making it up for it in the field and and showing his worth there. We have a lot of things to talk about, and I'm jotting several down as you talk because there were things I want to circle back on, but. I don't know if you remember early in the season when everybody's hands were up in arms about I'm sorry that's a horrible phrase when everybody was up in arms about the fielding do you know what they're fielding right now in the SEC what is it 991 yeah and that's and that's and that's kept them in a lot of ball games I mean they um no errors uh Florida on Friday and Saturday and one error on Sunday I mean that that's going to keep you in a lot of games uh, and in this conference, if you don't kick it around, you're going to be competitive and you don't walk a bunch of people and, um, you know, the strikeouts. And I think the strikeouts have been, I th- I, I, the thing about this past weekend that I was the most impressed with was I thought we've been harking on plate discipline and two strike discipline and not attacking. And I think Tim mentioned that in the press conference that they were way more aggressive early in counts and not getting into pitchers counts being a hitters counts and attacking more. And I think that was what happened Uh, in the Florida series that led to success. I was impressed how, well, I don't know if this is impressive, but I, I I got to the game late every game this week and I got there around the second inning or the bottom of, and every game we were behind. Uh, That's not, you know, you don't need that to become a habit, but Florida you know, scored two. Well, they didn't actually in the game two, they didn't score. They scored in the second, but two runs in the first on Friday and then two runs on Sunday in the first and and playing from behind. But this team showed some guts by answering the call like Vanderbilt teams have done in the last couple of years. When a, a team puts a crooked number, Vanderbilt responds at least with a run or, or answers quickly. And I thought that's what um, got them out of the hole this weekend and and showed a lot of guts. I was impressed with, you know, the the way that on Saturday some things, different things. I'm jotting down from memory that Carter Holton, you know, had the had the four inning performance, and Danya Evans kind of held that together remarkably. And I and I'm proud of that kid. Danya Evans sort of was a, a guy who didn't have a role perhaps for this team. Was questionable. He pitched a little bit last year, but it was. In, in some mop-up relief, and, and he held it together for that two innings just enough to, for this team to get a spark, and, and that was an asterisk that I uh, marked. And, and Corbin said in the press conference as well that Holton getting out of that jam with the bases loaded in the fourth, I think it was, was just as important, and I agree with that. I noticed that. I know I'm, I'm a – being a former pitcher – I do a lot of dugout watching from from where I, my vantage point, and you you kind of say, all right, are they going to go get him or not? Are they going to go talk to him? Are they going to pull him? And you know, is he on the first step? Meaning Corbin, 
what is he is he going to pull him? Are you going to let him work through this? And sometimes with young guys, you want them to work through the adverse situations in pitching. And I think that's what they were trying to do with Holton. And he came through and they ended up rebounding and, and getting the big win uh, coming from behind against Florida in that game too. Yeah, I'll have to grab my scorebook, but I think that was bases loaded. Yeah, it was. In the, in the, in the fourth, and I think Fabian was up, and I'm just right. thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to this is gonna become a 10 spot in a hurry if they're not careful, but it worked out. Well, Florida, uh, the tremendous amount of pressure they put on you offensively. They got some guys who can hack. They attack uh, fastballs early in the count. They're very aggressive. Some, you know, Fabian's numbers speak for itself. And is that kid, what is he? Is he a junior? He uh, is a, he's a junior, but he was draft eligible last year. He was right. very young coming as a freshman. I yeah. believe he was, I don't know if he was as young as Christian Little when he came to Florida, but I think it was the same sort of situation where I believe he enrolled early and, and maybe skipped his second semester of senior year. I could be wrong about that, but he was very young for his class. Yeah, and and that team just uh, you know it was funny. They just the different ways to to get it done. I don't recall Florida bunting all weekend. I made that comment on Sunday. I don't think they bunted the entire weekend. You know, they just they 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 uh, are very aggressive in what they do at the plate. No small ball in the vocabulary of that team. And uh, again, it's it's been successful for them. Um, you know, they roll out of Nashville with a record of, you know, 22 and 14 and six and nine, a, a, a game or two behind Vanderbilt. But it was, it was a key series. It felt like, uh, a series that had implications on the line. And I think it did. I've, I've said before last weekend that this was a critical season, a critical game more so really for Vanderbilt than it was Florida. Cause they were coming off a series win two out of three against uh, the top two or three team in the country, however you look at it, in Arkansas. So it was a critical time. It's a shame to get it done on Sunday, coming back after just – I mean, Sunday's game was awful. It was just kind of – I mean, just as from a fan perspective, it just – you felt it was just no offense whatsoever from Vanderbilt, and it was frustrating because Neely and Nesbitt go out there, and, and there weren't front-line guys, and we just could not get breaks – until that last inning with the big home run, which was dramatic. And that was a moment that you just felt like you could drive a stake into Florida if you could, if you could just get them shut down in the bottom half and we didn't get it done as we went to extra innings. And excuse me, the top of the 10th. But uh, overall, though, um, it, was, it was some positive signs uh, going forward. Yeah, I, I came away impressed with Florida. I think that's a talented team. It's it's young, which which so is Vandy. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But you know that just seems like the starts haven't been good lately. And I'm listening on the radio to the first probably two to three innings, and I don't know if those balls hitting its Cunningham were lasers, but it just seemed like everything was going for a single. I, I feel like I think a couple of them were infield singles. I don't know how solid a contact they were making, but it just seemed like nothing went right in the start for Vanderbilt. Uh, it felt like every ball that Florida put in play there was going for a hit early, and the Gators just strung a few together, and Vanderbilt really never could get back even until Bolger on the last strike in the ninth hits one out. Yeah, and, and Cunningham, uh, I was impressed with him for being as young as he is. and I mean, he didn't pitch that badly. Six innings, three three runs. Uh, he scattered seven hits, but I mean, he pitched well enough to win a game on Sunday. And, um, 
you know, they trotted him out there. It's, you know, weekend before we just have different people trying to find that role. And if one thing you can say about this team that they're doing is they're building depth. Tim has said many times before that you got a bunch of guys with pretty equal ability. And I think at, at first I was thinking that he was saying more like talking about the Hewitts and the, and the and the Laneve and Parker Nolan and and that that group of guys on the offensive side, but you also are seeing you're building depth on the pitching side uh, with with some guys uh, getting that starting role on uh, with with Cunningham. I was really impressed with Thomas Schultz, um, and I made a remark to you that this was the first time. And and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm not expecting you to know this, but. It's the first time all season that I've seen a guy go back-to-back nights out of the pen with Thomas Schultz going Friday, ending in two-thirds, and then he throws two innings uh, to close it out on Saturday. But that's the first time that this team has had a guy do that, and whether he's being set up to be the new closer or with Maldonado coming back slowly, if they're going to share that role. But I I don't think Maldonado is going to go back to the starting role. I can tell you that much right now. I don't think the stamina is going to be there, and – but when you have a two guys like that, uh, Schultz really, really showed me something this weekend. Um, and, and the way he threw, he threw hard, he threw strikes, he was confident, he didn't seem rattled, and, and it was good to see a guy go out there. And then finally, my other comment is this Christian Little, you know, it's a shame. He he gives up just the one, the bad pitch in the 10th, but I thought he was impressive. Um, it was good to see him back out there throwing more than an inning. He threw three, and it's a, just a tough luck, uh, tough luck loss for him. But those three guys stood out to me uh, over the weekend as far as how they threw. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Yeah, and I think I've mentioned this with Schultz. I don't have it in front of me. But one thing he does really well is he keeps the ball out of the air or has done pretty well. Um, And that's the one issue they have as a pitching staff right now. They have given up in the league 21 home runs. They've only hit 18. Other than that, you look across the stat sheet – there's not a lot to, to beef with. I mean, they've walked 58. They've hit 14. So you'd like to see a little more control, but that's not that's not crazy bad. They've given up 20 doubles and three triples. Um, I would say over 15 games, that's fine. Uh, but that's where they have had some trouble is giving up the long ball. I feel like maybe with Schultz throwing that well, if he can keep the ball on the ground, and you know Maldonado – is capable of closing out games. And by the way, I think you were texting me. 
I believe last year he was 91, 92, 93 with the fastball. He was 94, 95 with yeah. it against Florida. And one of them left the yard right. uh, by B.T. Rypel, who I don't think Max Scherzer could have gotten out the way he was hitting Saturday. But point is, now you might have some options there. And, oh, by the way, uh, you got Christian Little, who a week ago we were talking about closing potentially. Um, Little did give up a big fly in what is third inning of work against Florida. But I feel yeah. like if you can nail down the back end with those two guys, maybe you got Little that you can start. And, frankly, I think it's about time to to try it and see where it goes. I'm not the coaching staff. I don't know. You know, they're they're – very aware of the the mental side of things and who can handle what, but I'm wondering if that's not what's coming next. Now that you got Maldonado back and Schultz pitching well out of the back end and doing it with consistency, I agree with that. And and unless I say too, I, I should mention that um, even though you know Riley Riley gave up two hits and three in the third, which is okay, but I was impressed with him. He continues to show a little bit that he's far more effective out of the pen than he is uh, starting. And and that's probably where they're going to keep him. I don't see him. I probably think he'll stay in that role. So it's really just cementing that Sunday role, game three role of a regional or a super re- – you, you want to be have the confidence of, of doing that. I've even had this question, uh, almost like a mailbag question, someone posed to me last night with the situation with Futrell how he's how he's pitching midweek and leading the conference in wins with the T I think he's got eight wins now co-leading the conference as far as total wins my point and they were you know all these scenarios the person who was asking me the question I answered her back said well I mean you have to understand this is against Tennessee Tech and Lipscomb and Belmont you know there's there's a difference between pitching against Georgia Florida Tennessee and all those and guy shook his head and goes well yeah I get that uh, but the question was posed, is there any consideration that you flip those guys and give Futrell an, a, a, a shot at the Saturday game uh, instead of Carter Holton? you got two freshmen. They're both lefties. Um, and and that was an interesting thought. I don't think they'll do that. I think Tim's very protective of Futrell right now. He doesn't throw as hard, which doesn't matter to me. I've never been you know throwing a hard guy that, that's above all be all end all uh, kind of thing, but they're, they're sort of different in the way they approach the game. I think Futrell has a better change up. I think Holton has a better curveball uh, that kind of more of a 12, six action, but you know, that's when you start, you start making those changes and it's hard to go back. And I think Tim even mentioned, he says, you know, we're going to have to watch that. I think they're comfortable with Futrell, but that's when you see a guy who's eight, no, and Holton definitely started out. I almost had the perfect game in Hawaii. You start thinking, you know, when's Futrell going to get his shot in the rotation if he's going to or not? And and that's a question that I don't think – I don't know. I'm not sure if they've thought about, but it's something to be uh, pondered and I guess the fans have fun with. Okay, here's an interesting dynamic. They don't have a midweek game next week. Right. So now you got him in tow against a Kentucky team that really can hit – and that's all of a sudden an arm that you can use on the weekends. Maybe you can use him mop up early. I don't think I make a change at this point because I think that two, you wanna you wanna keep a kid's confidence where it is. And I think that's a lot of what they do sometimes is they let kids grow into things. I think you've seen that with Christian Little. 
I'm not sure that they had complete confidence that Christian Little was ready to go out and handle six and seven innings consistently on weekends. You're seeing them bringing him along slowly. He's pitching well. He's developing confidence. Um, you know, no walks in eight SEC innings. Didn't know that till I looked it up. Uh, and only one extra base hit. It's it's working. It may not be what people want, and I get that. But their end game is always the postseason. And oh, by the way, you've got Louisville in the midweek next week. That's a game where they need some skins right now. They need to beat hosting an NCAA tournament type teams. That gives them. I, I'm going to say that's going to give them an edge against Louisville and their ballpark. Their ballpark. I don't know what Louisville's got midweek, but. I kind of like him in that spot. Now, look, maybe if he handles Louisville and they're they're fine with it, maybe it's game on to, to throw him on the weekend. I don't know if that plays out differently if he goes and just dominates them. But I don't really have a fault with the way that he's doing it, especially given that they got so many arms that can come in in relief. And frankly, Chip, one of these weekends, just by luck of the draw – they're going to throw McIlvain and, and Holton out there on the weekends and get better results than they've gotten just because I don't think either guy um, can can perform much worse than they performed lately. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that to dog the kids. What I'm saying is I, I think that they're better players than, than they've probably both shown over their last starts. And I think that there's enough ability there. One of these weekends, one or both those kids is going to roll out and and throw for six or seven innings and give up a give up a run or two, and maybe we'll look back and say, "Hey, the the patience paid off." Right, and and you look at you know the number of innings pitched by these guys. I mean, you got ten guys on on the stat sheet that with a range of sixteen on the low end innings to forty six and two thirds on the high inning high inning range. I mean, there's a lot of balance there. You look at the ERAs. This is as clean of an ERA sheet of uh, I've seen at this point in the season in a long, long time. With with the uh, the regulars, the highest ERA is Hunter Owen at 4.05, and you know you got your so there's definitely a a delineation between three of your top guys: Futrell, McIlvain, Holton. Although Futrell's not an SEC starter right now, you've got the 40 plus innings. But you do have a lot of balance where some guys have gotten some experience. So I agree with you. I could see with not having some midweek games coming up, with Louisville coming up, too, throws a wrench into it. But it, it does give an opportunity this week to roll some guys out there. But they, they've, they're they starting to establish some roles here uh, that you've got your guys here. The 10 guys are getting most of the action. But there's a, a sense of a more balance in this staff that they can put guys into in some situations and throw them out there and, and, and be okay with it and have the depth. Okay, I'm trying to think this through. Has Riley pitched after McIlvain just about every week? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and there's a point behind this. And then Holton, uh, I don't know that they've had a pattern after him, have they? No, because you know he had Don, uh, Donya Evans and Maldonado followed him this weekend, and those two. Uh, I'm not sure if Evans got some action in Auburn or not, but Maldonado, of course, has been gone for a month and a half. So, um, so I don't think I see where you're going with it, but I don't think there's a, a a pattern other than the Riley one you mentioned. Well, here's here's where I'm going with this weekend against Kentucky. Do you use Futrell to piggyback off somebody? And if so, what's that look like? Does that look like 
Maybe you start Cunningham on Sunday, and then you bring Futrell in for you know the, to try to go long relief. You've got righty lefty there. Uh, if you bring him in for Holton, you're going lefty lefty, yep. but it's it's different kinds of lefty. And, and of course, if you're Kentucky, you know you, you may structure your lineup based on handing this a pitcher. I'm just wondering. Like if you throw Futrell into the mix for a weekend, does that change your structure just because he's a lefty coming out of the bullpen? And if you assume they're going to go McIlvain, Holton, Cunningham, you've got one lefty in the rotation, that being Cunningham. I'm just wondering, and I have no information on this. I don't know what Tim Corbin is thinking, but I'm just thinking now you got a piece potentially for this weekend that you don't usually have, and and it's – it's a different change in terms of handedness over two of your starters, and it's also a different look because he was sitting, what, 86-88 with the fastball last night, which is very different than what you're going to see in McIlvain and Holton for sure, and especially Holton. I'm just wondering if you use the change of pace because he's a very different look um, either through handedness or stuff than what they're rolling out there to start. And I wonder if that changes any of the order in which they use these guys. I'm probably overthinking it, but but it's interesting now that you look ahead and think, hey, they don't have a midweek game to save him for next week. And I'm well, thinking they yeah. want to get him some pitches rather than than wait two weeks to throw again. Yeah, I would think if you're going to see Futrell, it would be Sunday, especially with the, given the fact that he threw 81 pitches. That's not a huge load, but it's, it's enough to where you're going to have to have some recovery and Sunday would give him enough just to come in and throw, you know, 20, 30 pitches if needed. I mean, he 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 might throw 86, 88, but his, he's got a pro changeup, and he can throw it. He's not afraid to throw it at any time in the count, and he just makes people look silly. Um, the tech batters didn't know what to do with it, um, and he throws a lot of ground, ground ball outs. He, he, his pace is unbelievably quick. Um, I like the way he does that, keeps everybody in the game. And, and uh, so I, I, I'm, I think Sunday would be the soonest you'd see him. I don't think you'd see him following Holton. No, I agree with you on that. It'd be Sunday and just gives you an extra arm uh, to do that. So um, and then you, you got the whole scenario that it reverts back with the Louisville. The Louisville game, as you mentioned, is uh, something they were going to need to have. It, it helps in the RPI. Um, for that following week, unless they make a change on a Sunday. But uh, that just makes the most sense, and I agree with what you're saying. Are you worried about the propensity to give up home runs? I don't know if that's a fluke thing. It's just it's happened late. You know, Florida's a team that hits a lot of them. So does Tennessee. That That's the teams they played the last two weeks, and I don't know if where Florida and Tennessee rank nationally in terms of home runs. I'm guessing Tennessee is still one. Well, Auburn hit Auburn hit quite a few too. Yeah, and, and Auburn yeah. Auburn is not a home run hitting team as much outside of Deshera. I'm wondering if if because like people have done studies on this at the major league level that like a certain number of fly balls generally leave the yard, um, you know, and, and there's percentages like above it or below it. You're you're thought of lucky or unlucky based on how that goes. Not I, I think I'm sure there's. There's explanations within those. There's you know balls that are that are hard hit fly balls. Um, there are you know that maybe get blown in or out of the park by a gust of wind. There are pop ups. There's different types of fly balls. So I'm sure that there are stops in between to explain it. But I'm just wondering, like, are they just in a in a bad stretch where they're seeing the ball leave the yard 
more than they should um, or if it's something to worry about. Now, I will tell you this. It seems like a lot of times when a home run's hit, you know, it's it's a 3-1, 3-0, and, and that's probably on the pitcher when you've got to throw a strike, hitter goes, hey, fastball's coming, and then, then you get one, and, and there it goes. Uh, it hasn't come up to me thinking about it that you know until you brought it up. Um, yeah, the, the last couple of weeks have been some balls jump out of the yard that uh, you know you got to look at the sample though. Florida, that's what they do. Um, they that's what they uh, pride themselves on the offensive side. And then you had you know the Auburn with the big boy. You know <laughs> that's what he does too. But it, I think it we'll, we'll know a lot more this after this weekend and the and the following if it's a trend, but. It's not something that I noticed until you pointed it out. I think it's just these these kids are just whether the bats are hot legally, illegally, whatever. They're just it's it's they're bigger, stronger, faster. You got a lot of older kids and and some of these teams, but um, not something that's jumping out at me, you know, incredibly like it's a flashing red siren going off. Uh, but I'll, I'll definitely be watching in the future, and, and we'll be able to tell more. And the game's coming up. Well, you know, the pitching, they're still second in the conference in runs allowed in all games at 123. Right. And their schedule is stronger than most. Um, most strength to schedule measures RPI, they're 11. Uh, some of the others, they're, they're ranked between top 10 to around 30, depending on what computer. So this has not been done against what the computers say is a weak schedule. No, and and, and the league is as balanced as it is. Um you know, we talked about, and there, there is that part in the when the, the earlier in the season that Hawaii was not as good as perhaps that those wins looked. Although it was four on the road, and that's impressive. And you had the Wagner, and you had so you, it it wasn't now they they weren't playing Bellarmine either. You know, they weren't playing whoever UT was playing early on that they St. Joe's or whoever. Uh, but I mean, every team's going to have that on their schedule earlier in the year, and. And uh, some of those, you can't really do anything about them when you schedule them. But it, it, it'll balance out. And, and if they can roll some wins these next nine, as I talk about, when you got Kentucky, Texas A&M, Georgia on the road, two of those three on the road, you still have Arkansas hanging out there, looming in Fayetteville. So the, the strength of schedule is going to continue to get better. It's just whether they can mount some wins on there. You mentioned Hawaii. That that led me on a, a little bit of a goose chase. I did not realize this. Hawaii had a had an eight game losing streak snapped in the midweek with the loss to Fresno State. Um, really? Now not not beating really good teams. Well, they, there were some couple of good wins in there. Um, they started that with a Sunday win against UCSB, which is a probably an NCAA tournament caliber team. I didn't realize this because it didn't mean anything at the time. Do you know what they did the weekend after they beat Vanderbilt? I mean, after they lost, they took two of four against Rutgers, which, really? like, if you're not paying attention, Rutgers is 31 and six. Right. Hot team. Hot team. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hawaii's not, maybe those wins mean a little bit more than we thought. They're 16 and 17. So maybe we're reaching here, but I just, right. I did a dive into what's Hawaii done since Vanderbilt. Right, I found that interesting. Right. Good point. Um, Changing the subject a bit, and credit to Ario Grisson at the Tennessean on this. I was chatting with her at the spring game during halftime, and I think you can always judge experience on metrics, and maybe it's what you define. But she had done some research, and I think she ran an article on it. I didn't see it, 
where Vanderbilt's, I think, one of the, the the youngest teams in terms of experience on both the mound and in the lineup. Now, does Vanderbilt have some experience? Absolutely. You, you've got Keegan. You've got Carter Young. Uh, he played a lot of ball. Javier Vaz has played a lot of ball, albeit some of it at Juco. Bradfield's midway through his second year as a starter. Uh, Bolger, you know, played most of last year and started. You got Colwick as a as a senior, although, you know, his career has been wrecked by injuries a good bit of the time. And, and of course, he didn't play much as a freshman. But the point was, by, by some of the metrics that she had calculated, um, this is still one of the younger teams in the league. And you've heard Tim Corbin allude to this at times, that they're playing kids that, are, that have got fifth, six-year kids in the lineup at times. And when you look at it that way, I think you probably evaluate this team in a little bit of a different light as well. Yeah, I mean, you look at what the the portal Vanderbilt goes out and and gets Jack Anderson from Princeton, and um, I'm pretty sure that's it. And in these other teams, Auburn has a bunch of fresh faces. They've got kids who are older who didn't get drafted, who took the extra COVID year, and uh, and and. I, I will say, I'm going to give credit where credit is due because I, I think Aria, she has done a really nice job in her coverage with detailed stats. I think she's, she's the way she broke that article down. She had some information on Twitter, and I'm, I'm not sure if she wrote um, an article about it. She might have, but it was some Twitter, some facts about how Vanderbilt has not been attacking the strike zone and taking strike three, um, you know, not she had it all broken down in the, in the analytics, which I was impressed with. Uh, so let me just get that out there. I, th- I think she, I, I think she knows her baseball, and I think she's covered the Cape. I think in the past Cape Cod yeah. League, and she's, she she's, she knows that, and she knows analytics, and they're they're really it's it's crazy to me. I've done some analytics stuff over the years, and and people at times have looked at me like I've got a third eye. I mean, there's stuff out there for people to find. There's just nobody's really writing about it. Like even at the even at the national level, for the most part, I think it's I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit out there to be hit and she's done a good job of uncovering some of those things. Yeah, but and and the age thing I thought was interesting and I sent that to some friends who you know maybe pumped the brakes a little bit about um some of their criticisms as far as this team as being um why perhaps that they're facing these teams who reloaded reloaded. I mean, you got UT picked off the number 1 pitcher, I think it was Georgia State. I think that's who it was, or Mercer, some team in Georgia. You know, all of a sudden he's on their weekend rotation. So Georgia Southern, which which Georgia is Southern. maybe a team in the in the discussion to host based on its RPI right. right now, which right. Tennessee swept. So yeah, um, so th- there's some va- validity to that. I mean, you got older kids who who Tim mentioned, Tim Corbin mentioned the Auburn kid who's got over 200 at bat. I mean, 200 hits in the league. Um, and his career, um, playing for them. You know, 23 year olds. Uh, maybe one a couple a couple twenty four year olds who have that experience. Uh, I mean, I always hearken back to what if what I knew when I was twenty three and twenty four and could still pitch in this league, it'd be a lot different. It's just the maturity and the number of at bats and the number of appearances you have on the mound. You cannot put a price on what that experience means, and and that's what they're seeing. These middle of the pack teams have that are kind of sandwiched in there in the standings now in both divisions, the East and the West, are there because they basically turned their rosters over and they brought in players who could help them. They brought in, you know, the best player at 
at uh, you know Georgia Southern. They brought you know some teams brought in hitters from Samford, the best player on their team. And when you do that, it it, it makes you better overnight as long as the chemistry's there, which is the dangerous thing. But that is life right now. With I mean, look at what LSU is going to have to do in basketball. Look what Ole Miss. I hear Ole Miss has got a depleted roster in basketball. Uh, these with people transferring and being able to go and have these free passes, you're going to see rosters turn over, turn over, not just in that sport, but also the one we're talking about in baseball as well. And I feel like the lineup is about to get there. I feel like Bolger has been the, the whipping boy of a lot of people. And I do think they've hit him too high at times, but the thing about Jack He's got a 426 on base in league. Even when he was not driving the ball, he was finding ways to get on base. Now you're seeing him hit the ball with authority. He hits what a home run to, to tie the game, you know, with one strike left and, and it's done if he doesn't hit that. Um he hit a ball the other way yesterday. He hit one to the gap in right center against tech that that's I think um either set up the inning or knocked in a run or two. I don't remember now. but And they hit a lot of – they didn't have much to show for it in the box score yesterday. They hit a lot of foul balls that missed extra bases by just like a foot or two. And I know that doesn't count for anything, but but I watched the way kids swing the bat. I, you've seen it a little bit more out of Carter Young. I feel like Jones and Keegan have been consistent all year. I just feel like to, to that point to where exams are going to be over in a couple of weeks and you're starting to see some signs of these guys coming around. I mean, I would have to think that as Colwick's hand gets better, maybe the pop returns to his bat. I feel like Bradfield is, is going to be better than a guy. I mean, here's something that's astonishing. He's got a 324 on base mark in SEC games. Four for four in steals. Would have thought they'd had better. I, I just think I look at this and I feel like the lineup is about to start coming around a little bit more just based on what my eyes have told me of late. Yeah, and I think Bulger, um, he had a good weekend. And, and you know, a little surprising, I don't know if you noticed, he hit in the two-hole last night against Tennessee Tech, which was first time he's ever done that, I think, all year. But um, they moved him around a little bit, and I agree about Bradfield. Bradfield, you know, had a lot of hop to his step. He hits that triple, which was great. I think he was just sitting there on go, waiting for something to happen, and that was very dynamic and kind of showed some flashes of what he did, you know, his freshman campaign. So, yeah, I, I agree it's getting there. Um, there's, there's just moments like, Sunday, which you put two performances, exciting games back to back, and then Sunday was a dud. And then it's really hard to get a read on last night when you have how many people got hit? Six? Six, six hit and seven walks. I Here's what the way that I sized it up. I felt like when they had pitches to hit, they were just missing by a little bit. Again, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of hard hit foul balls. And other than that, not a lot of pitches to hit. I mean – Again, hit batters were a big thing. I felt like they did a really good job of laying off pitches. And when they had one to hammer, I felt like they were making a good effort. The, the balls just weren't falling in play for the most part. Um, that, that might be an optimistic take on it. But when I, I watched, and I, I got to see most of last night. I did not get to see most of Sunday's games. I don't know what their approach was like. Um, I listened a little bit on the radio, and then we had a, a Sunday Easter dinner at my parents, and I, I'm going to say I missed a good four or five innings through that. So I didn't see how they swung the bat in game three, but I feel like when I've watched them of late, 
Um, it, it's a team that's been a lot more aggressive and really made teams pay for misplaced fastball a lot, uh, a lot more since that Auburn series. Yeah, and and uh, you know I'm looking to see and watching closely when I watch these games. You know, Davis Diaz, who who you wonder if he's. I don't know if he's pressing. hit a wall or yeah, what, but he's a different. Just, and he's that that is one place I'm concerned. He's a different hitter uh, in SEC play. It just it is not. I, I felt like uh, it, it felt like earlier in the year like he was going to get hit, hit get a hit every time he's up there. Now it, it kind of feels like he's hit that wall or something where just nothing is coming for him. Yeah, he he and Vaz somewhat. I mean, Vaz goes over five uh, in the Sunday game against Florida. Um, you know, which was just a little disappointing, and they're still trying to figure that out. And I know he—I don't know if he was one for four in the in game two and um, pinch hit in, the, in late innings on on Friday night. But it's just, you know Vaz and Diaz, the two guys you got to watch as far as getting their confidence back. And then you know Carter Young again. We we touched on that, and and don't want to beleaguer it. Just he's been electric in the field and kept him made some really big plays, but. He keeps getting pushed down further and further in lineup uh, each game. It seems like he's batting the nine hole. Um, and you just hope that he can just string it together. Because if they can get him going and they get Vaz over the hump and not, you know, there's a big difference between midweek pitching and SEC pitching. If you can get, you know, Davis Diaz and Vaz and, and Young going positively, because I think Bradfield's on his way to getting back to. Uh, where he can be. I mean, he's he's on the base. He's so dynamic, and we all know that. So uh, it was a little interesting that they switched the Diaz in, in game one of Florida, uh, Diaz leading off and Bradfield too. I don't know really what that accomplished, but um, maybe it was something they saw. But um, I, I just like Bradfield in the one hole. I think the biggest concern I have going forward, and it's circling back to pitching, uh, and, and maybe hitting is the biggest concern at the end of the year, but I see a way out. You, you look at their their bulk inning guys on the weekend, and and Riley has an eighteen and two thirds walked or hit sixteen guys. You just cannot sustain success at that rate. McIlvain has walked fourteen, hit one in twenty seven and a third. That that's that's not great. You, you want better than that from your one though. And then Holton, and I think. With him, it's just getting used to pitching to college hitters because his rep is he's a strike thrower. Uh, but but when you're giving up seven home runs and 22 and a third innings in the league, you're probably going to be prone to nibble a little bit more. He's hit four and walked 11 in, in those innings, and I, I think that's the thing that's got to get sorted out. Now, the good thing is they got a pretty deep bullpen, and it's done a great job um, in league play and out of it. But that's the thing that's got to come together for them between now and postseason. Agreed. Uh, and, and and we'll see a lot about this weekend against Kentucky because it's uh, – I have noticed that a little bit about the Holton. It harkens back to the South Carolina series when he gave up a couple bombs and it was something – it was such a shock to the system where here this kid was just so efficient for so long and then heading into uh, the, the South Carolina and Columbia just it kind of fell apart. So I think he's super talented. It's just this this – this league eats up freshmen. Uh, I don't care how talented you are. There'll be a moment when you have your moment of reckoning and 
where things uh, sort of, you know, you, you got to get them to slow down again. It's, it's one thing to pitch in Hawaii against the Hawaii's and Wagner's of the world, but when you get on the mound at some of these stadiums against some of these teams with older guys who are four or five years older than you and have the experience in the at-bats, it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, and here's the thing. I don't know how many starts this staff had collectively coming into this year, but it wasn't a lot. I mean, Maldonado probably had half of them. Little had some in midweek. Riley had some in midweek. But guys that got the ball for an SEC game to, to open, I mean, I guess you're looking at whatever handful Riley and McIlvain got last year, and that's that's about it other than Maldonado who, again, you know, he's had that issue with the oblique, and I guess that's a, that's a thing we probably should have spent more time talking about um, is, is if he's back to his usual self and that cutter or slider or whatever they call it, it seems like – one week it's a slider, another week it's a cutter. Um, now, if they get that back, that's that's a big weapon because again, that's a kid who can not only close, but that eats a lot of innings too, if need be. Yeah, and and speaking of eating innings, it just goes to show you how much lighter and rocker were inning eaters. Uh, I mean, those guys were good for seven and eight, pretty much on any given back to back nights, and and what it did was it limited what you could do in the bullpen because you didn't need them. Um, you had your guys you can count on. And as I mentioned, that balance of having a lot of guys who's gotten some, you know, 10 guys who've gotten at least 16 innings is is going to, I think, bode well for them as they head down the stretch. Anything we missed before we end the show today? You know, no. Uh, I, I think um, I, I think this is a critical series with Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky's good enough team to – and we haven't talked about them at all as we head into the weekend, but Kentucky's a, they've lost three series in a row. Um, they're, uh, they're good enough to be a team that goes and, and, and handles Georgia in Lexington. And they're bad enough on the, on the opposite end to, to lose two out of three to Missouri on the road after, you know, they won 15 to six and then they lose two, uh, back to back to close out the series. Uh, they're good enough to beat TCU in, in Lexington uh, and, and take two out of three from them early in the year in March. And and then they're bad enough, and not saying this is a, but, you know, to, to get handled in Fayetteville, which they were respectable, six to two, nine to three, and three to one losses. But so they're a paradox. Uh, George is a good team, and they, and they mashed out 18 runs on the Sunday win on, on March 27th to get that series win. So there's no there's no pushovers in this league. I, I promise you that more than ever. And this is a five and ten team in the league and twenty one and sixteen overall that's in the cellar of the SEC. And you're going to their place and you're just two games ahead of them. You're that's all it is. You've got two more wins than they do in the SEC. So I don't I think this is one that Vanderbilt has to have um, to to get back in the, another series win. It's not the you know it's not going to be like it. It seems like we go topsy turvy when we go to Kentucky. There's some good games. There's some memories of going up there and just railroading them. And then there's some times when we've struggled. And and this team's coming off um, you know a loss to Louisville um, yesterday, I guess it was, uh, and then losing um, the series against Missouri. So momentum's not on their side. And, you know, 6.30 game, noon and one. Am I dreaming that there – okay, did I read on your site that the, there were going to be two two games on Saturday? 
Or was that from – there was a thread on your site that mentioned uh, there was a press conference about the notes from Tim Corbin's press conference on Monday, and it mentioned two games on Saturday. Uh, I have not – you know, let or me let me check the schedule. That. But um, it's not on any and, – and because I, I happened to see the thread, and I was like, well, maybe they're doing that because of weather, but it was way far in advance. So maybe it was something that was on an earlier thread. Uh, from something else, but right now it's looking Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, um, Kentucky's just you got to go up there and win those games, point blank, and you got to continue this thing and, and stack series wins across and and uh, not think too, too far ahead. And A and M the next weekend is glaring with no midweek game, but um, this is this is another critical game, and they all all are, but. Going on the road and winning a series here, uh, which is something they haven't done all year, I think would be a next step. Yeah, the schedule has got got three games in three days, no doubleheaders listed. So. Okay, well maybe I don't. I hadn't been sleeping well lately for whatever reason, so maybe I dreamed it. But I, I just could have sworn that there was something on the thread that in Tim's reports. Uh, but maybe again, it was from. Sometimes when you read your thread on your board, it can be something from six months ago that somebody post and and you don't it, from, and then they, somebody continues the thread and maybe it was from some earlier when they played uh, some, somebody else. Yeah. The, the, the common thing on our board sometimes is, is when somebody needs to gloat about something they said yeah, a couple right, of months right, ago, right. a thread gets bumped out of the blue that you <laughs> forgot even existed. That's uh, I'd even find it. That's uh, a the, funny thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I run the thing and I, I don't even know how to find those sometimes. So it, it, it just goes to show the customers are smarter than the, the guy who runs it, I guess. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, Here's what they need to do: get to sixteen and fourteen, and you're going to host. I think I feel almost certain about that. I, I feel like eighteen might be the thing to get to a national seed, uh, which is going to be a lot to bite off. They'd have to go what eleven and four in the second half, and that's going to be a little tough because they've got. What three games at Arkansas the next to last weekend of the conference season? So you know you lose two or three there. You've only got maybe two more losses if you got to get to eighteen. Um, that includes a road trip to Georgia, which I feel I feel like they're going to go to Georgia in a couple weeks and win that series. I feel like Georgia's pitching, um, even with Cannon, is is really sketchy and really sketchy after him. Um, you know, AM coming in in a couple weeks, that's going to be really interesting. Maybe hard to get to 18, but I feel like 16 is is certainly doable. And I mean, with this team, there's been a lot of times that I've, I've gone into this point of the season and said, you know, boy, they've, they've dug themselves a little bit of a hole. And all of a sudden you look up in Hoover and they've, they've done what they needed to do and then some. So going to be very interesting how this plays out. But I think they've really got to get a win in Lexington this weekend, take two out of three or else – um, you know, if they don't say they lose two out of three, then they're sitting there at, at what seven and ten, and and then it gets a little bit more dire to to need to beat A and M next weekend, um, and then you have to sweep to get back to five hundred. So you really want to take care of business this weekend in Lexington. Yeah, and and they've got you know the ingredients are there, Chris. They've got the pitching enough to do things deep into a tournament like an SEC tournament, NCAA regional. It's just they've got to get the wins to get them in a place where they're going to be a favorable seed. You, there are a lot of question marks around the league. 
Ole Miss's pitching's in shambles. They get beat last night. Um, you've got, you know, nationally, Texas gets railroaded by, I think, Air Force 14 to 2, or I think Goodness. it was on. You know, it's just, there, there's a lot of if you don't have midweek pitching in your depth, um, it's struggling. So that's what I think, and it's been the premise of you have the Mason Hickmans of the world, and I've talked about this, but building that guy up and stacking the wins. So when you do get a tournament, you you go out the SEC tournament on Wednesday and you start off, and you got a guy who's got eight, nine, ten wins. It means a lot that you know that these guys haven't. Didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. They've been, they've got a system, meaning Corbin and crew, and his staff. They know what they're doing, and it's just formulating it and getting guys on the field who can execute and 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 stay hot and and um, put it all together. And this is the time to do it. Yeah, it feels like they're going to be a tough out in a regional. Super's more the question for me. Yeah, I could see that. All right, Chip. Tell folks if uh, people want to buy a home in and around the Nashville area, tell them about what you guys do at Frederick and Clark. Sure, our company, uh, Frederick and Clark Realty, has been around for goodness since 1960, and we got two offices: one in Brentwood, one in Nashville, and Green Hills area. We've got over 180 agents, and we are prepared. We've got the bullpen, you might say, of of real estate agents to step in and close the deal for you. In this market, we've talked about it. It's really, really hot still. It remains to be seen if it will stay hot long term. I don't see anything on the horizon saying that with interest rates bumping up. Everybody probably knows that refinances have kind of plummeted. So uh, the market still stays hot, though. You got to have some um, interest rates trickling up more. Uh, than they are now to really slow down a hot market like we are in Nashville and Middle Tennessee area. And you need a professional on your side, and that's where our company comes into play. Give me a call at 615-327-4800 to set you up with one of our 180 agents that specialize in buying and selling your home. You really need a professional these days to sit down with you and navigate the waters on the buy or sell side. It's complicated. It's tricky. And you don't want to leave any money on the table either way. So give me a call. You can check us out on the web at frederickandclark.com. That's F-R-I-D-R-I-C-H is how you spell it. And uh, we're Vanderbilt folks, been around, been Vanderbilt folks all our lives. And my brother Steve and I are the principals and the owners of the company and both Vanderbilt graduates. And uh, like I said, I'm a former player and my dad a former basketball player. So a lot of Vanderbilt ties. So if your listeners are wanting to delve into the real estate game, Give us a call, and we'll be be happy to help them out. Chip, thanks a bunch. We'll catch you next week. All right, Chris. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.